Hey everyone, welcome to the Land of Hope podcast. Come with us this week as we plant our feet in the Land of Hope. Thanks, Eleanor. It's so good to be here with you, Hope. What a crazy time that is. She got exposed and um, I didn't. I don't know how. What a year to be in the middle of a, uh, of a pandemic and to try to lead and try to pastor. I don't know if you know that, but this is actually a really hard thing for Eleanor. You, you know, people usually go like, I got the day off. Woohoo! That's really a great thing. But she is really wishes she was here. And pandemics have had a really unusual effect upon the church. Did you know that leading right now is like a, being a basketball referee? If you, if you point the balls going one direction, the other half of the fandom is going to not like you. And so leading in the middle of a pandemic is like that. Um, all you have to do is say something like, uh, wear a mask, don't wear a mask, social distance, don't social distance, gather, don't gather, sing, don't sing, black lives matter, blue lives matter. It doesn't really matter people say right now. They are, pastors are really getting it. So I want to encourage you with Eleanor being away, think about how you can be a blessing to her. Think about how you can encourage her, how you can strengthen her. Because the calls that I get are like this. Three days ago, maybe, one of our pastor friends calls me and says, I just needed to talk to somebody because I'm super bummed out. I go, all right, talk. What's going on? Well, I just found out one of my best friends in the church left the church two months ago. I just thought they weren't coming because of the pandemic. You know, I thought they were being COVID conscious. And nope, they're going somewhere else. And I said something that offended them. And not until I talked to them did I even find that out. So I want you to understand that this is a difficult season. So do everything you can to encourage and strengthen Eleanor because that is really, really necessary. Did you know that we oversee like five states of Foursquare, right? A little over 200 churches, and in, since January 1 of 2020, we have had 28 pastoral transitions. That means almost 15% of the pastors have left and come and gone new pastors during the middle, most of them, of a pandemic. How would you like to start leading something you can't meet? Hi, you're talking online for the first 10 months. You can't even meet them. And that's where a lot of our leaders are. So understand, this is just a really difficult time. But I want to talk to you about the church today, where we are, and why I'm hopeful for places like hope. I've just finished reading a book called The Agile Church, and some of these thoughts come right out of that. And I want to encourage you first by looking at Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 7. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, though it costs you all you have. Get understanding. Cherish her and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will and she will honor you. So I want to encourage you that you want to get wisdom. Well, that makes sense, right? You don't want to be stupid, so you want to get smart. You want to get wise. But really, what is this passage talking about? Is it talking about how to get wisdom? Just listen to Dave Ramsey, listen to Pastor Steve Shell. listen, I don't know. How do you get wisdom? It says it'll cost you all in Proverbs 4, 7. That doesn't sound like getting wisdom. That doesn't sound like going to a good class. That doesn't sound like reading a good book. That doesn't sound like 
the normal aspects of wisdom gaining, I think that wisdom could really be explained by getting Jesus. I'm told that if you were to put the word wisdom and Jesus in Proverbs, you can almost always translate it and make it make sense. Get Jesus, though Jesus costs you all. So fear of the Lord is a really interesting part of that. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Why would the fear of the Lord be the beginning of wisdom? Well, I think it's really important for us to understand what fear is. Fear as a noun is an unpleasant emotion, something that makes us scared, right? Fear as a verb is to be afraid of someone or something. But fear in the awe sense, in the Bible sense, it's awe, it's wonder, it's amazement. And if we are in amazement of what God is, it's really that we're in amazement at his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness for us. Why would we be amazed of his forgiveness? Because we all know how much we have fallen short of God's glory. Because we all know how much we needed a Savior. Because we all know how lost we were without him and still are when we wander off into our own ways. So how does this awe and this wonder fit into a post-Christian, post-denominational, post-church era? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says this, For it is by grace that you've been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. How did you get to all this wisdom? Did you do something really, really smart? Listen to the right podcast, listen to the right stuff, make the right decisions, and now look at you. No, really, it's all about God's grace, isn't it? But what's difficult in today's culture, as dark is getting dark and darker and light is getting lighter, it's really difficult not to look down our noses at people that are making poor choices. I don't know if you've experienced that, but I have. When I look at people's lives and I think, well, no wonder your life's a mess. You're so far from God, it's ridiculous. You're so far away from faith, it's un. un tenable. So, of course, you're not wise. You're not wise in the decisions you're making. You're not wise in walking with God. You haven't found Jesus. And so, of course, your life is just going to get become more and more of a mess. But I want to think that in opportunity of how much I could frustrate Jesus. Because when I look at people that are a mess, I think, can I just run your life for a week or two? It'd be fine. It's not that hard. Let me just help you make some wise choices. It's not that difficult. But then I think about my own of Jesus and how I have wandered off, how I have left him, how I have done foolish things, and how much grace I have been required to be able to have relationship with him. So we can't look down our noses at people that are far from God. I mean, we can, but it doesn't help us. It doesn't help us understand that. It's really... What we're looking at that way is, is a way that we're just looking at people as not how God would see them. The gospel is that you're a sinner, you're a moral failure, and salvation is only to those that acknowledge those failures. 
So my wisdom is simply acknowledging my weakness. It's acknowledging my own sin. It's acknowledging my failure and not becoming amazingly wise and amazingly gifted and amazingly whatever you want to put in there. My only significance is that Jesus died for me and that I'm saved by grace. Tim Keller, a Bible teacher that I respect, calls this the moral performance narrative. When you think about God and you think about how great you're doing, it's really your moral performance and then the story of my life, a moral performance narrative. I'm better than you because I read my Bible, I know scripture, I'm full of wisdom, and therefore I'm a really good person. That's really where the Western church lives today. We'd never say it that way, but we live it that way. And we honestly think that way from time to time without intent. We don't get up in the morning and think, I'm going to think poorly of someone. Trying to live wise, biblical, godly, holy lives the best that we can. And then we find people that are so far off the rails, we just think, well, of course, look at you. In the book that I'm reading, the author of the Agile Church, Dwight Kent say his last name, Sheezel, something like that, So it calls this moralistic therapeutic deism. He says that's what people outside the church are looking at the church for. They're looking at the church for moralistic therapeutic deism. In other words, they want to come to church when it's going to help them feel better about what? About themselves. So how do we deal with people who are so far from God when we're trying to be so close to God and the culture has changed so vehemently opposing. What's interesting is that Jesus never came against culture. When you think about the words of Jesus, he didn't say, like, this culture that I'm living in, let me just tell you about it. It's such a mess. If I had my way, I'd just nuke him right now. Jesus doesn't think like that. I do. I think, like, Lord, Come on, come quickly. This is getting worse and worse. And that's that moralistic, deistic thing. So how do we reach people and live a holy life? Romans 7 talks about how, so it is no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right but not the ability to carry it out. So he's really saying here is, look, I'm a sinner saved by grace. We all know that, right? We know that in here, but when we go out there, are we able to translate that to a people that are far from God? Compare and contrast the gospel and the American that we're trying to reach. Barna would say statistically that 22% of people that attended church before the pandemic, haven't darkened the door onto a video screen or into a socially distanced service. 22% of the church has just kind of disappeared. Nobody knows where they were or where they are. 17% of churchgoers have switched churches, and most people don't know that. So that basically means 30% of the, 39% of those people that were attending church pre-post, uh, pre-pandemic are no longer around. So why do people even attend church today? What is it that's going on in church that's causing people to attend or not to attend? What would describe 
What would be the word that you would describe right here in the room? You can shout through your computer screen or phone if you'd like. But what would be the word that you would use to describe your church? Somebody. Not everybody at once. This is interactive, people. Help me out. Throw me a bone. What would be a word? Community. Okay. Faithfulness. Okay. Helpful. Okay. Anybody else? Small. You like that? Some people, um, here's the word that I was looking for, and you guys hit all around it, but it says basically the same thing. It's family. The word family is how most of us see church. We come because we are a community, because we like to hang out together, because we enjoy the fellowship of the brethren, those kinds of things. But here's what the Agile Church author wrote on page 23 of that book. He says, I go to church or another religious organization. Now remember, these are the people outside of the walls. This is not us. These are the people we're trying to reach. They go to another religious organization because I want to, so long as it provides what I want. But I have no obligation either to attend in the first place or continue if I don't want to. Now remember, faithfulness, family, commitment, those are words that we resonate with as the church. Those are words that we were raised with to be part of the church. But understand that people are far from God. That's not, how, that's not what's driving them or motivating them. So when we see people come and attend and begin to start fellowshipping with us, we think that they want to become part of the family, the community, the faithfulness. And the truth is, that's not where they are. And again, Jesus didn't attack culture. Jesus said, how do we reach this culture? One of the interesting things to me that as I'm visiting around with churches, and one of the reasons I'm hopeful with churches like Hope is because we do have the ability to be agile. We're not locked into a multi-million dollar building. We're not locked into trying to fill an auditorium. We're not locked into a large staff. There's nothing that Hope can't do on the dime if they choose to. The problem is that we have to start realizing that the people out there are thinking differently than we are. And when I'm with churches, what I hear most often from them is, particularly churches that are not agile, I'm hearing from them, I can't wait till everything goes back to normal. That's what the word that I'll hear most often. I'll hear them look into the screen when I'm visiting. They'll say, get back here. You need to come back to the church. This is where the glory is. Come home, come home. They'll say all those kinds of things. But the truth is, the agile church is going, how can we capitalize on this? How can we do something different that reaches more people? How can we incorporate the new things that are going on in today's culture that will create more disciples for Jesus. See, the church is not being changed by COVID. Pandemics and the like don't flip culture. They just expedite things. So things were already headed this direction. It's just that this has caused there to be a real understanding that things are really, really different in the world we live in. 
He goes on in the Agile Church to say, people with a Christian background have been raised with the idea of the church as a family. Families stick together. People show up at parties and celebrations, even if they don't like them. That's what family members do for one. If they don't like them, that's what one another. They are connected by loyalty, duty, and hopefully love. Most other people view church as a restaurant. Think about that. We view church as a family. But people outside of here view church as a restaurant. It's a, place, it's a place where you go when you're in the mood. In other words, when you feel a spiritual need, you may like this particular restaurant very much, but that doesn't imply that you will return next week. Do you see your church as a family? Or do you see your church as a restaurant? I would say most of those of us that gather or would watch online would say we do it because it's family, because our, it's our community. And that's, I think, a wonderful thing. I'm not saying we shouldn't think that way. I'm just saying understand that we live in a world that doesn't think that way. And if they don't think that way, then how do we minister life to a people that don't understand what it is that we have to offer? We can't say come join God's family because they're going like, not interested. But I wouldn't mind a meal. If you got a good one right now, I'll eat with you. One of the stories that this um, book tells about is Dyson vacuum cleaners. Who's got a Dyson vacuum cleaner? Anybody? We do. The Costco shelves are full of them. And uh, he flips, Dyson basically flips engineering on its head and does the exact opposite way vacuum cleaners have been created for years. Now, the interesting thing about Mr. Dyson is that he didn't do this in one whim in a garage. He had 5,127 prototypes. 5,127. And the author of this book says, and the problem with the church is we have had one prototype. And we haven't tried a second and a third and a fourth. And I think the way that we are today in the ability for a church like Hope to be agile is we can try prototypes all over the place, like all kinds of different ones. We don't have to be stuck in a lot of ways a lot of other churches are. So think about this. For, for us, what does the gospel tell us to do? Well, we're saved by grace. Don't look down at those people. They need the same Jesus that you need. And yet, what does the Bible tell us? Go do church in this manner that we have created. That's a liturgy that kind of looks very similar to most churches. No, it doesn't tell us to do anything like that. It tells us to go make disciples. If we're in a family business that is trying to serve restaurant attenders, what different things are we going to do to look back and to be able to make disciples? Because it's not about getting us back together the way we used to always be together. It's about making disciples. Jesus didn't say, like, hey, as soon as the pandemic's over, just make sure you get back. Get back to church. No, what he said is, go, therefore, into all this world and do what? Make them. Go make them. He didn't say don't use your iPhone. He didn't say don't use computers or Zoom, Zoom rooms or don't gather or gather. 
He didn't say that this is the right way and this is the wrong way. He just simply said to go make disciples. So what is it in our particular faith journey that will help us look out to people that don't understand that the family of God is the right place for them to be and to serve them a meal when they're ready for it that's hot and fresh and responds with life to where they're going to say, huh, all right. Because I think eventually we want them to understand that they do want a family. But they're not starting there, are they? They're starting far from there. And that doesn't mean that we don't want them to be in community or that we don't want them to be in family. I think those are really highly valuable things of the body of Christ. But understand that people are so far away from God that they're not even coming into the doors thinking maybe this is my home. They're just looking for a meal. So I think it's really important for us to know the world that we're living in and that we could become a prototype, a Dyson, if you will, of various experiments for God. What do we have to lose? What do we have to lose to try some different stuff? We're doing a different season right now, once a month, twice a month, Sunday night, small group Zoom. I mean, like, just break all the rules. Because there's no right and there's no wrong when it comes to making disciples, how to do that. So I'm encouraged that there are churches out there that are becoming more and more agile, that are becoming more and more opportunistic to try to do new things. And I believe that as long as we're not looking down our noses at those that are far from God and don't understand that they need a family, when they walk into some sort of a spiritual gathering, that we could serve them a really great meal and then begin to develop relationship to where maybe someday they become a part of a family. Maybe not this one, maybe another one. Because I think ultimately that would be a wonderful thing for them. But I'm just here to say I'm excited about the future of the church and especially churches like this because you have opportunities that others don't have and that is to be agile. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would encourage and bless Hope Community Church, that you would fill hope full of the power of your Holy Spirit to be agile, to reach and make new disciples for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, thanks for tuning in today. I'm Paul, one of the producers of the Land of Hope podcast. If anything that you heard moved you or touched you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. So please head on over to discoverhope.org connect and connect with us. And if you'd like to support the podcast or even sponsor the podcast, just head on over to discoverhope.org giving. Thanks.